Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 66. Today's episode is all about embracing spirituality through the eyes of a 9-11 survivor. We are made up of seven different layers. We are not just this physical body. That is our, of course, outermost layer, body. Then is the breath. And then beyond the breath is your mind. By that, I don't mean the brain, but that field of energy that where perception, the thoughts and emotions come from. Beyond the mind is our intellect, the faculty that judges, that discriminates, that perhaps right now is saying, oh yes, he's saying something right, or no, no, what he says is not making any sense. That faculty that judges, the intellect. And intellect makes these decisions based on our past experiences, which is the memory. And beyond the memory is that sense of identity, the ego, and past these six layers is who we really are, the self. Have you ever gone through something that changed your entire life? I think we all have actually, whether we know it or not. But sometimes something happens, and in that moment, we know that nothing will ever be the same. For me, that moment was one of several times, unfortunately, that I woke up in a jail cell. Maybe for you, it was the loss of a child or a spouse or you saw your friend get killed in the military, or you narrowly escaped a terrorist attack because the person next to you said to run. Whatever the situation, these experiences can completely transform us, whether they break us or they make us. We don't remember most of our lives. This becomes really apparent when I hang out with an old friend from childhood who brings up memories that I have no recollection of. This actually just happened to me. A friend said, I was running the other day and had a flashback to cross country in high school where you'd say, we're 11 sixteenths of the way there, remember? No, Jessica, I don't. But I have always loved my fractions, so it's plausible, but no memory. Anyways, we remember key moments that, for whatever reason, had an impact on us. And usually we acknowledge those key moments in hindsight. Unless it's something really big, like... Where were you when JFK was shot? I bet you'll always remember. Or where were you when you found out COVID was a thing? Or where were you when you found out about the events of 9-11? The last one is a big one. It's the moment I realized that I'm not as safe as I thought I was. I was awake before my family, and I actually ran upstairs to wake up my mom to turn on the news. That whole day felt like a dream. I remember being in my humanities class. We just had the news on the whole time. My teacher looked a little glossed over, scared even. My memory of it is so vivid and stark, like some stop-motion movie where nothing and everything is happening at the same time, if that even makes sense. Well, today's guest remembers right where he was also, because he was actually on the bottom floor of the first tower that eventually collapsed. A moment like this can make or break us. Either the pain is too much, so we use whatever we can to escape, which can lead to things like addiction, isolation, depression, or even suicide. Or the pain is too much, so we use it as a catalyst to make positive changes that lead to a life even better than where we started. It's always a choice, whether or not it feels like it. It's always a choice. And I want to make clear that I am not minimizing the pain people feel that go the first route. I did that route for a really long time. And a part of that time, I didn't see any other way. Thankfully, though, a seed was planted that ended up growing into the life that I have now. 
It took a whole lot of tending to that seed, but I can tell you that I am so glad I did because I love my life now. And I genuinely believe that the traumas I've experienced were necessary for me to become who I am today. But I also know that when you're in the darkness, it's hard to find your way to the light. So today we're talking to someone who found his way. Our guest is Kushal Choksi. He was an analyst with Goldman Sachs when the tragic events of 9-11 occurred. He narrowly escaped by the grace of a stranger. And that moment was a choice for him. He could let it break him with survivor's guilt or PTSD or depression, or he could find meaning in his experience and design his life around the quest for peace. He chose the latter. So three key things we will learn are how experiencing trauma and tragedy can make you more receptive to new spiritual paths, how meditation helps you stay resilient in the face of challenges, and how to allow for the possibility of a spiritual awakening, even if you're a complete skeptic. But before we get started, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, you get a little inspiration to guide you away from the darkness and into the light, kind of like a love letter from the cosmos. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you grow. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Kushal Choksi to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Melissa. So you have a very intriguing story, and I cannot wait to hear all about it. But it's been 20 years since 9-11, and you actually survived the 9-11 terrorist attack. So tell me about that and what led you to writing a book about it. Well, um, right after 9-11, um, there, was an, there was a part of me that felt very different because it was very different for me to process this whole uh, set of events in, that happened in such a rapid uh, succession. And it was like, wait, what, what is this? I, I don't understand this. I can't process this. But it was my practice of breathwork and meditation um, that gave me an opening, that gave me some clarity. And it opened a completely new dimension to life for me. And I thought at some point in time that if I could do it, anybody can. And I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to share this knowledge. I wanted to share what I have experienced with the hope and simple innocent intention that everyone in this on this planet experiences that calm, thoughtless state of mind. Well, let's go back to that day. I want to know, what was it that you experienced? Uh, I know that you survived the attack, but you had an interesting experience of having somebody actually tell you we should get out of here when everyone else was saying to stay in, to stay safe. Can you give us some details about that actual day and what went down? Sure. Um, And if I get too graphic, please stop me. (laughs) But... uh, Yeah, the day started like any other day. I was on my way to work. I used to work in lower Manhattan. Um, I used to work on a trading desk as an analyst. Um, And you know how the typical New York morning, you're just in in a rush to get to work with millions of thoughts raging in your mind, the to-do list, the checklist, this and that. And I was just like that, you know, unaware of what was going around me. I was just dashing to work. And in that moment, I was arrested by this huge, loud noise um, that kind of shook everyone around and, you know, around me and me, including. Um, and as I tried to understand what had happened, that pandemonium started around me. People were running in all directions. 
um, somebody was screaming that a bomb had gone off. Um, nobody really knew what had actually transpired, but people were just imagining the worst. And there was a fear, uh, a palpable fear around me. Um, and so not knowing what to do, I just went, I decided to go out. I, I went towards the exit. And as I approached the main entrance to the World Trade Center on the Church Street, um, there was a well-meaning security person who was asking everyone to to stay inside. Um, perhaps he thought it was unsafe outside because visibly it was. Um, you know, there was all sorts of, uh, out, right after the crash, uh, there were all sorts of like cement chips and glass splinters and all that was raining outside from the sky. And, and there was a gray haze outside. So naturally his uh, his knee jerk was to ask everyone to go inside and if if you work there go to your desks if, but if you didn't work uh, just aggregate at the center of the building um, perhaps that would be safer he thought and in that moment you know i had a someone from me tap me uh, from someone from behind me tap me on my shoulders and said no this doesn't sound right just let's get out of here just go and there was just so much conviction in their voice that I made that split second decision, um, acceded to that instructions, and I, I just left that building right outside. So when you were leaving the building, what was going through your mind? Were you wondering if you had made the right choice? What made you trust this person? And, and looking back, it almost feels like a guardian angel in a way. <laughs> in, indeed. I don't know. You know, I was just flowing with the flow, uh, Lisa, I had my perception or my my intellect had perhaps given up in that moment. So I was just uh, following the, what everybody else was doing and, and perhaps in that moment just acting from, from my gut. You know, I was not really thinking. Uh, perhaps I'd lost that uh, ability to think clearly in that moment. Perhaps it's very overrated to say, oh, you should take a take a pause in these moments and think clearly. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I didn't have that in that moment. It was just, it, everything was so intense all around me. On one side, there was people, you know, running in all directions. You know, the other, from the other side, the first responders were coming into the building. Outside, there was this just very virulent looking gray haze. People saying, let's go out. Somebody saying, go inside. You know, there was just such a conflicting um, set of instructions and, and emotions from all different directions that, that I had I had shut off pretty much. I, I was just flowing with what was happening around me. And that makes total sense. When something like that happens, we go into fight or flight and we really lose the ability to logic and reason. But when you heard that first explosion and it was supposedly the first plane. What was the aftermath of that? Where did you go afterwards? Were you watching what was transpiring after you left? And what was going through your mind as you ended up eventually watching that tower that you could have stood in fall? Um, I stepped out and I was just watching that that big gaping hole uh, in the north facade of the tower uh, with, with complete disbelief. I was, I was, and I, you know, some of us were chatting downstairs, how could this happen? Did the did the aircraft made a wrong left turn? Like, how could this have happened? I mean, I used to work for, for several months on the 107th floor 
of World Trade Center, Center before from the windows on the world. Um, that's where we'd have all our meetings. And I would see all these aircrafts on that glide path to LaGuardia Airport at the eye level. And so it was imaginable that, yes, perhaps some freak accident happened and some, you know, some plane kind of went inside the building instead of <laughs> landing. Although it was it was a stretch of imagination, but but it was not completely unrealistic to think of it having seen aircrafts land all the time. But as I was trying to process all that, and another aircraft comes from the corner of my left eye and just pierces in, into the south tower um, right in front of my eyes. And, you know, it, it, it spit out a huge ball of fire that was just coming down on us. And I, I was like, what is really happening? I mean, this this is not an accident anymore. It doesn't seem like an accident. I was frozen in that moment and I couldn't think uh, what, what was really happening right then. Um, and all this is happening. You watch some people, you know, jump down from, from the higher floors. And, and it was it was all too much for my senses or, or my intellect to, to process in, in that moment. So not knowing what to do, I just started moving away uh, towards my office, which was on the east side of the island. And as I was walking, I hear this loud noise and screams from behind me. I turn around only to see that the North Tower is collapsing um, with a deafening rumble. And it has created this huge plume of, of dust and smoke and debris. You, you perhaps would have seen some of these um, images uh, or, or footages on YouTube of this, this smoke and dust you know, kind of going through these narrow alleys of lower Manhattan, sort of engulfing everything and everyone um, in its wake. So that was quite a scene. Oh, man, I remember watching that on TV. I was a junior in high school when this happened. And I woke up before <laughs> anybody else in my family because I had like an early class. And I remember the radio show I was listening to just saying, we are at war. And I was like, what is happening? And I turned on the TV and I was watching the footage. And I remember seeing the footage of the people jumping out and it being traumatic just watching it on TV. So I can only imagine what it was like to stand there and know that these people in that moment were basically having to choose between two pretty terrible ways to die. What was it like to witness that? Yeah, it was um, it was quite horrific. I mean, you're right. They had the option to either get asphyxiated in the building or end it willfully by by leaping out. And it's one thing to watch it on, you know, on TV or um, or 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 hear about it. And it's completely different sensation watching them land in front of you. And and that was that's something I I, I can never. Uh, that image can never leave my mind, you know, that can never leave my, my memory. So yeah, it was, it was really, really horrific. And at that point, you know, you, you, some, something happens and you feel you're in a dream or this is unreal. Some, someone like pinch me, wake me up. This, this cannot be real. And then it continues to happen and it, the intensity just increases. And at that point you just go numb. And you, you, you even stop asking whether this is real or this is a dream. You just stand there frozen, just watch it all unravel. First of all, I am so sorry that you had to experience that. And I also know that it's sometimes experiences like this that 
trigger us to ask bigger questions about life and and why we're here and what the purpose is. And I know that that has been the case for you just by going through your your book and your spirituality journey. So I'm curious though, I know that spirituality and meditation has been a huge help for you since that event, but what was your spiritual practice like before? Did you have something already that you were able to lean on from the get-go or was it something that you discovered because of the event you went through? Great question. I was anti-meditation. I was anti-breath work or any form of spiritual pursuit because I had this wrong notion that it could perhaps make me more calm to the point that I would give up on my ambitions. That would make me um, so inert or, or so even that I would probably not have that fire of of passion that I wanted to get that and, and achieve this. I really thought I would take the edge off. And so I was, I was in time meditation, to be very frank with you, uh, just from this angle. I was curious about it, but I was really, I really thought it could something, it was something you could wait until I retire. It was something that I would pursue when I'm done with life. So yeah, I did not have an active practice and neither was I looking for one. I, right after this, you're right, I mean, one, when, when something like this happen, happens, you know, it, it hits you in the head and, and makes you perhaps ask bigger questions of perhaps there's more to life than what, what is in front of you, more to life than this chasing of the American dream, which was my reality at that point. Um, so I began questioning the status quo, but I did not know any better. And, and, you know, to paint the context, this is early 2000. I mean, there is not enough people talking about meditation or breath work or spirituality. There are, there are no smartphones, so there are no apps that you could download and meditate. So all that felt very remote and something really out there. So I was, A, I was averse to it. B, it was not enough around me that I could catch it from osmosis. It was just something I never thought about in, as something I wanted to to make it as part of my routine. But it was someone, a dear friend of mine, who, who said, you know what, you've tried everything. So right after this event, you know, I just started doing crazy things because I was very, on one side, I was very grateful that I had a new lease on life. And so I had to finish everything, all the unfinished businesses of my life, uh, let alone something like this could ever happen again. So I started traveling and changing jobs and this and that. and thinking that that would bring some joy, that would bring some fulfillment. But every time I would do something, I would come back from it more tired and thinking, nah, not this, perhaps something bigger. So I I kept going, kept raising the bar higher and higher. And at some point in time, a friend of mine said, do you want to try this? My flat out response was, no, I don't want to do it. But he said, you know, you, why don't you just come a spiritual master his name is Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. He's traveling to United States from India. And, you know, you'd, you'd like to see him. He, he probably has something that, that may appeal your, your intellect and mind and everything. And so reluctantly, I ended up going to this one session on, an, on a Saturday afternoon, summer afternoon in New York. And, and that's how I first got introduced to meditation. So I know that when I first started attempting to meditate. And I I call it attempting because when I really compare my practice now from when I 
first began, it really was more like an attempt. I was just sitting on on my cushion and I wasn't necessarily doing much more than actually ruminating deeper into (laughs) my spiraling thoughts. And so when you first started to meditate, what was that experience like for you? Because going through something like the 9-11 terrorist attack, I imagine that you may be uncovering survivor's guilt, questioning reality, like, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? What were you trying to do as you sat down on that cushion? Were you trying to let the thoughts go or were you uncovering more of your trauma or just walk me through that? So, you know, I had tried meditating before, uh, just out of curiosity. And my experience was no different from yours, where, you know, I could not go beyond my thoughts. The minute I would close my eyes, all the different checklists and all the different to-dos and all the different mundane priorities would just pop up. And I would just kind of find myself stuck in it, not able to transcend the thoughts, as they they say. Um, And I found it extremely difficult to meditate. And that was another reason why I I'd already made up my mind that it was not for me. When I first tried to meditate in with Sri Sri Ravi Shankar at this event, I really wasn't expecting anything. I had gone with very open mind. Some of the feelings that you highlighted about survivor's guilt or, or wanting to relieve these things, you know, they had kind of fallen sideways a bit in the rush of, of this frenetic, you know, New York life. Because I had come back to that life and a city like New York and and the profession like finances, they force you to be resilient. They don't give you opportunity or time to think and process. They just say, okay, come pick yourself up, dust dust off everything and, and just start running. So I had somewhat fallen prey to that and I'd come back to my life as before. Um, but of course there was a little voice behind you know, in, in my head that that was different this time it was telling, but why, but why it kept asking these questions, but I was, I kept pushing it or pushing it aside every time. So when I came to this afternoon uh, session, I came with, I came expecting nothing. I didn't know what I would get out of it. I almost felt like I'm just coming to, uh, to appease this friend who had invited me. So out of politeness, I had just gone there. I was not really expecting anything out of it. And so when you began actually meditating, you weren't expecting anything out of it, but what did you end up getting out of it? What was, if you were telling this to somebody who hasn't bought into the meditation hype or doesn't believe that it can help them or thinks that meditation doesn't work for them, what do you tell them? So there, therein is a little journey that I would like you I'd like to take you and your listeners on. So I first time I meditated with uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, it was amazing. I experienced the mind without thoughts for the very first time ever, ever. I had learned about all this power of now, present moment is, don't keep your mind in the future or the past, keep it in the now. But I'd always struggled to do that. How do you do it? And when I meditated for the first time, I experienced this thoughtless, this turbulence-less state, which was in the moment. I mean, I, I slipped into this beautiful nothingness. Um, and when I came out, I felt so awake, so so rejuvenated and so energetic that I thought, yes, maybe there is 
this is something that I'm looking for. But in this moment, my left brain, that conditioned brain from Wall Street training, which prevented me from taking anything on its face value, it started popping up. And it said, you know, but what if this is some woo-woo? I mean, how can you be sure that this is not some placebo? Or what if you fell off, you know, fell, fell off asleep? You know, you had a long night last night. So, you know, all these kind of thoughts started coming up. And so on one side, there was this experience, but on the other side, there was all these thoughts. So I decided I was going to dig a little deeper. And this gentleman, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who had um, introduced a, a breathwork technique called sky breath meditation, it's a, it's a beautiful breathing technique. So this meditation was a precursor to that. So I started reading about sky breath, the, the science and art of meditation. And when I f- started unearthing all this deep-rooted scientific validation about this technique and meditation, it started giving me some confidence that I wanted to continue going deeper on this path to see what what what's there because on one side i had this irrefutable experience and on the other side now that i found that there was science that supported it there was it was not just some feel good you know thing where i just felt good once because i you know somebody guided me through it no there was actual science with both of them together i started walking on that down that road, wanting to keep going back to that experience. What is unique about this sky breath technique that you were taught? Well, the most unique thing about it was that it required no effort. That was the first unique thing, that it used the natural rhythms in our own breath to bring that clarity and bring that calmness and stillness in the mind. You know, so... Everything that I'd done before, different techniques of mindfulness, different modalities of breath work, different types of meditation, they all, Melissa, required me to either focus on something, whether it's a sound or a source of light or, or something, uh, a thought in my mind, or it required me to not think of something that, okay, move away from the thoughts or just watch your breath. Don't think of anything else. And in either cases, on either end of the spectrum, I found myself putting in some effort. There was some effort involved. Even if it was as simple as watching my own breath, there was effort involved. And, you know, perhaps it's clear now, but wasn't as clear to me back then, that the mind does not listen to effort. And, you know, if I ask you to close your eyes and not think of a a pink elephant, guess what's going to pop up the first thing in your head, right? (laughs) So the the mind is very anti-effort and it's not good or bad. That's its nature. Like how fire is hot, the mind does not listen to effort. You, you, You can't do anything about it. So what's so different about the sky breath is a technique of effortlessness. So it's with just by using the the rhythms in the breath which come so natural to us because they're they're instilled in us they're established in us it takes your mind to a state which is meditation you don't have to make an effort to meditate you follow the sky breath and where it takes you is meditation and when you come out of it when the 
practices, when you come out of that sky breath meditation, you feel naturally in the moment. You feel so at home. You feel so present. And there is no effort to not think of something or not let your mind wander. In fact, it encourages your mind to go wherever it wants. And, and mind does go wherever it wants because it's going through all these different functions of our being. See, we have functions, we have our physical functions, we have functions of breath, we have functions of cognition, we have functions of perception, the memory. All these things are governed by our past experiences. The impressions that are left in our nervous system, they, they create or they, they somehow govern how these, these, all these different functions are going to behave. And what the sky breath does is just through this rhythmic breathing, it brings coherence into all these functions and scrubs off all these debilitating impressions. And then when it's not there, you naturally feel in the moment and you naturally feel <laughs> childlike. So I have heard mixed things about ways to meditate. And some people are like, you can't do meditation wrong. And other people are like, you can definitely do meditation wrong. <laughs> or some people say, you don't want your thoughts to be able to flow. When you notice your thoughts flowing, just bring it back to the breath. But you're saying that that is the effort that's involved. So with sky breath meditation, you can get all of the benefits of meditation, even by allowing your thoughts to flow as they would naturally. Am I hearing that right? Exactly. So let me share a little science. Let's, let's unpack this a little more. We are made up of seven different layers. We are not just this physical body. These are, of course, outermost layer. Clearer than the body is the breath. And then beyond the breath is your mind. By that, I don't mean the brain, but that field of energy that where perception, the thoughts and emotions come from. And beyond the mind is our intellect, you know, the faculty that judges, that discriminates, that perhaps right now is saying, oh, yes, he's saying something right. Or no, no, what he says is not making any sense. That faculty that, that judges the mind, uh, uh, sorry, I mean the intellect. And intellect makes these decisions based on our past experiences, which is the memory. And beyond the memory is that sense of identity, the ego, and past these six layers is who we really are, the self. So the body, breath, mind, intellect, memory, ego, and the self. These are the seven prime layers of who we really are, that, that make up who we really are. Now, any emotion or any life experience that you go through, it leaves a certain impression in these layers, whether in your memory, or whether it how it shows up in your in your intellect, how it shows up in your breath. See, if you get angry, for example, you're going to start breathing differently. If your your breath is short and shallow, if you're surprised, you gasp for air, right? So all these things are intertwined, interrelated, and these impressions are stored somewhere in this in, in our nervous system in these six layers. And what happens through sky breath? It goes through all these different layers. So when you're doing your sky breath, you may realize, you may out of nowhere feel some random thoughts pop up. 
because it, because it is going through your intellect. It is going through these things in your intellect. It can, some random memories from the past may come up, which may have been stored as a trauma or which may have been stored as something that you've shoved aside. You've been, you've been avoiding it and you've been, you, you kind of put it on the corner of your being somewhere. It may just come up out of nowhere as you doing going through the sky breath and it comes up to leave you. So all these things may just naturally arise because they are arising to free you from it. So it's actually when you are not putting an effort, you're not also putting an effort to avoid these things. You just, you just breathe and these things just come up, leave you making you or, or leaving you feel very calm and, and scrubbed clean if I may use that term. So when these things come up, I know we allow them to do what they do, but I know that some people, myself included, have a tendency to ruminate, to where we might be adding more energy to those thoughts and causing ourselves to almost go into a semi-destructive cycle. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Have you, where then all of a sudden you're just feeding the story more and you're making yourself feel emotions that the process is supposed to be helping you let go. How do you keep from ruminating and just allow the process to work more effortlessly and naturally? Great question. See, wanting to keep yourself away from ruminating also is what? Effort, right? So again, the key to sky breath is effortlessness. So we are not putting an effort to even do that. We're just, whatever comes up, you just offer it into your breath and let the breath and the rhythms of the breath take you completely from it. So you you may notice that on a given day when you're doing your sky breath, you have all these thoughts that come up and you are just thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to get rid of it? All these things may come up and you just be with it. And then the next day you do it and none of them is there. Not, none of those things are there. And the third day you do it again, maybe some remaining traces of it may again show up. So the sky breath is, it gives you what you need in that moment. So if something is bubbling up, something is surfacing in your in your deeper consciousness, it's just going to go there, clean it and and release it. Some impressions are deeper. Some impressions are much stronger than than the others. It may take longer for for you to get rid of them. But what happens? It's like it's like imagine you have a a surface of glass with a with a deep scratch on it. You use a sanding paper and you keep you know scrubbing the glass. Now it, it might keep getting fainter and fainter, but it, it, may, it may be still there. So a continued practice of, of sky breath, surely, slowly but surely, can get rid of all these impressions, what I call the lesions or scoff marks in your nervous system. The thoughts, what if, if not cleaned or if not scrubbed, what happens? These impressions create thoughts. These thoughts then they they end up into certain patterns, how we show up in our life, patterns. And these patterns then become deep-rooted conditioning in how we, everything we do kind of depends on. So our conditioning of anything you think of, something as 
innocent as wanting a cup of coffee every morning, right? Has come from a pleasant experience of the past, which has with a repetitive attention to it has become a conditioning and now it's become part of the routine. If you don't get it, you feel miserable. That is a very strong condition. A, a, a deep loss or an event that has created trauma is not different. It's just a deeper or a different impression that is responsible for creating conditioning that governs how we show up in our life, whether it's in our relationships, in our business, in our professional life, everywhere. So you talk about these impressions that may have left wounds that might even be a a trauma or PTSD. I'm curious, what impressions or traumas were you left with after that day of 9-11? And do things still come up for you even in your meditation practice from that day? I had avoided going there. So I'm sure there was something that was brewing inside. You know, I, I know for the longest time, you know, if I hear, if, if I'm going somewhere and in, in New York City, you have all these construction trucks going around and they drop like a big steel plate and you have a huge loud noise, you know, it would just rattle me off. Or if I, if I experience that, that burning smell somewhere, it would take me back to that morning. You know, when, when the towers were collapsing, there was this stench in the air. Like I could, it's, I can, I can close my eyes and I can steal I can still, you know, experience that. Or if I would, for for many years, if I would, you know, remove shoes at the airport, you know, it would just trigger some some memories. And those were my impressions. And, and those were creating some of the things that how I was behaving in my life. But do I still have those memories? Oh, yes, very clearly. I mean, I, I close my eyes and it, it's very vivid. I mean, you were asking me earlier how that morning was. I can completely describe to it as if it happened yesterday. But the only difference is there is no negative emotional charge associated with that anymore. And that's what sky breath does. It, that's what it did to me. That yes, there's memories, but it severed the connection between the memories and emotions through this process of breath by releasing this impression. You know, these, now I, 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 I volunteer my time with this foundation, um, you know, facilitating the sky breath workshops for others. And we teach this sky breath workshops to, to veterans who come back from war, to prisoners who have gone through some very deep rooted, um, you know, traumas to teach this practice in inner city schools where, where kids at a very young age have gone through some really traumatic abuses in their lives. What is common across all these things? It has left in the same mind that we all share, it has left some deep rooted impressions that hold people back from living their full potential. When you talk about the one mind that we all share, you talking about how that event has changed our collective consciousness? It sure has, yes. I mean, there is the word before and after is very different. It has triggered a, a definite shift in, in the whole fabric of humanity. I mean, I, for sure, I can say that. What I meant by the same mind is, I meant like our all minds, we, we all respond to certain life events in the same way, you know, that, that that fight or flight mode that you talked about. We all have a certain triggers in, our, in us, which we're going to all respond to it. And so 
if, that, if there's an unpleasant event that has affected one person, who is to say that other person undergoes the same experience would probably you know, react to it in the same way. It's just that one person is a little more um, fortunate than the other, if you will, that they have not experienced that. But what I meant that we all have the same mind is that if we, if we go through the same human experiences that this other person has gone through, we would perhaps respond or react in exact same way. So you had mentioned that when that when 9-11 transpired, you were in a job where they didn't give you much time to think. It was just like dust yourself off and get moving. But it sounds like you've made some pretty powerful shifts from that time. And it does seem like you were, were working a job that that was your life, where it was just kind of hit the grind every single day. I'm curious, how has your perspective on the purpose of your life changed since that day? You know, I've, I was really in a, in a really rapid rat race when, um, when I was working then. And I continued to be uh, for some time. It was not like the, the, the shift happened overnight. It took me some time, um, but as I continued to meditate, as I continued to practice my breath work, one thing that kept getting stronger and stronger was the ability to filter out the noise inside. You know, there's always a voice that is talking to all of us from from within, but then there is also so much other chatter that kind of shouts that that inner voice. What's it telling us? And you know, this practice gave me the ability to connect to it, to kind of listen to it. And it also gave me the strength to follow it, that conviction to to follow that, what the inner voice was saying. So yes, I started shifting from, of course, that Wall Street career. I, I, I was able to take more risk. I was, there was a lot more energy and, and, and agility that came initially. But then came this whole sense of wanting to make a difference, wanting to create some impact, uh, wanting to to give back those um, feelings, those small sparks kind of kept getting kindled um, with time. Right now, we are still kind of in the midst of another national or really global crisis with the pandemic, with the response to the pandemic. There's just a lot of people suffering. How do you see that your spirituality practice and your experience having witnessed 9-11, how do you think that has changed the way you have handled life in the last year and a half? You're right. I mean, when this pandemic happened and and the lockdown happened right away, uh, suddenly, it it did evoke the very similar emotions of, of what I had felt 20 years ago. Um, you know, and... I can imagine how it might have played havoc on many minds. Um, you know, I I cannot imagine out there, there probably is not a single soul who would have not questioned their own purpose. They, everybody has questioned, I know, their their work, their, their lives, their people have questioned their relationships, everything like, you know, it has happened. So yes, it's bound to happen. And it's, it's a bit unfortunate that we as human beings have to, endure something so big, something so painful to wake up to and, and ask such questions. But yeah, I can't, you know, that's what it is. And when that happens, 
you you cannot but think of or, or question the status quo. And for me, it was um, it was my practice that kind of made me take all this as a with, with a fair degree of acceptance. A previous me would have started blaming things, would have started throwing my arms up in the air, started feeling miserable. But, you know, I was a lot more in control of my own emotions, of my own mind throughout this whole pandemic. I, I suffered one of the, the deepest loss of my own, own life. I, I lost my father uh, to COVID. But somehow there was so much more, a, a deep acceptance, not not. Uh, Melissa, not making mood. You know, sometimes we make mood. Oh, I because I meditate, I'm I'm in control. I'm I feel a certain way. But that strong, strongly resonating, that deep feeling from inside. That that's your experience, and so yeah, that was um, that's how I handled it. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your father. I know those losses can be so hard. I lost my dad about 20 years ago. So. I am just so grateful that you are turning the hard things that you've dealt with in life into a path for people to follow if they're going through something difficult or hard or they feel out of control of their life. So thank you so much for the beautiful story that you brought uh, in order to introduce the idea of meditation and breath work and to share how much it's helped you. So for listeners that are interested in reading your book and connecting with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? On my website, kushalchoksi.com, my first name and last name, uh, kushalchoksi.com, or on social media. I'm most active on, on, on Instagram or Facebook. Send me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn, whatever. My book can be found on, on Amazon. Uh, it's called On a Wing and a Prayer, uh, Spirituality for the Reluctant, the Curious, and the Seeker. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x66. Your challenge for this week is to meditate. I totally get that this can be a habit that's difficult to get into for some people. It was for me for a really long time. I started trying to meditate like over a decade ago (laughs) and I remember it feeling like my own personal version of hell, like just sitting there with all the thoughts I was trying to avoid. But thankfully, we live in the age of technology and apps have really, really helped. Calm is a really awesome app that's frequently one of my sponsors. I also really love Insight Timer. There's a ton of freebies on there. But for just starting out, two that were really helpful for me was the first was Headspace, maybe just because it was the first app that was really doing that and making it cool. And they have these little animations that explain what's going on. So it's a really great app to learn what meditation is doing or how to actually do it. But the one that was actually really helpful when I was starting out was 10% happier. And the reason is because they have these prompts after one minute. So you're really only making a commitment to meditate for one minute. And if you can't stand it, at least you did a minute. You're still doing something good for yourself. But then they allow you to continue going. So it might be a 10-minute meditation where after a minute they say, you've been going a minute, would you like to keep going? And then they'll prompt you after five minutes and then 10. And there was something about knowing I only had to sit there for a minute and the rest was just my choice, (laughs) which is funny because obviously it's all just my choice. I was choosing to go into that app, but it felt like a way out. And then every minute after that, I felt like I was just going above and beyond. Somehow I always ended up sitting there 10 minutes 
But it was just a really great starting point where it didn't feel quite so spiritual. Now at the level I'm at, I really love Insight Timer. There's a lot of yoga nidras or, or mindful guidance that you can use. If you're a premium member, I have a ton of meditations in the premium membership as well. But there's so many resources out there. So find which one works for you and just focus on meditating. You don't have to allow your mind to be completely clear. You can let your thoughts arise. And when you notice that you're gripping on to a thought too tightly, just gently let it go. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa.